0: If you have your Bibles with you today, please turn to Matthew, the 16th chapter. Matthew, chapter 16, will be our Bible reading today. And we'll begin in verse 13 together. Matthew 16 and verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it.
1: I'm going to move this back a little bit so you can see more of my front side than my back side. For you on the sides. Last week, uh, Mark and Vicki Stanley and Kim and I um, were part of a training seminar that was held here at the church to be recertified for, uh, to lead a dynamic marriage seminar. And John and Alicia Turner were certified for the first time to be able to do that as well. And we hope to offer, uh, begin offering those seminars uh, on a regular basis. Uh, we hope to do the first one this fall. The training involved uh, reading some of the material, obviously, we had to, uh, not only were we trained to facilitate the seminar, but in order to do that effectively, we had to actually participate in reading the material and also participating in a few of the exercises in which couples who take the seminar will be engaging during that process. And what I enjoyed about it was the opportunity that Kim and I had to focus on our relationship and we are you know when you 're in the ministry you 're so involved in helping others and focusing on uh, the church and, and the relationship of other people that you know sometimes you you neglect uh, the marriage relationship and and so it was good for us to to do that and and to be able to think about what's good about our marriage and what's good about our relationship because every marriage even if you have one of the best marriage every marriage needs maintenance it's kinda like a car every car needs maintenance for it to run properly and so do marriages and it also forced us to think about what's good and positive about each other And, and what we love about each other And we actually had an exercise where we we had to talk for two straight minutes and tell the other person what we loved about them and appreciated about them. And I could have gone on for hours. <laughs> Sometimes we focus too much on the negative and, and we take for granted all the positive. And that can happen in any relationship. Over the past few years, I really think this has occurred in regard to the church. You know, there, there's been a lot of criticism directed at the church over the last several years. There, there's been criticism directed at this church and, this, and, and just the church in general. And, and I don't think we realize the, the damage we can do when we take such a negative attitude toward the church. And, and I think it's because sometimes we take for granted the blessing of the church. In the book of Exodus... God's people were being treated very harshly by the Egyptians, and so they cried out to God for deliverance. God heard their cry, and through a series of ten powerful, miraculous plagues, he delivered his people. And on the very day that they were leaving Egypt, as they were marching through the desert, they came to the shore of the Red Sea. But there were no ships there, And as we know, Pharaoh had a last minute change of heart and ordered his army to go after the Israelites. He was saying, What what have we done? What have we done? We just let all our slaves go. Go out and bring them back. And so the Egyptian army headed out to chase the Israelites and to bring them back. And so the Israelites are standing there at the edge of the Red Sea, no place really to go. And they turn around and they look back, and here come the Egyptians as hard as they can after them. And this is what they said in Exodus 14 verse 11 to Moses and Aaron. They said this. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Okay, so... You know, the Israelites wanted relief from their bondage and (laughs) they cried out to God. God was in the process of giving them this relief by bringing them out of Egypt. And before they have even been delivered yet, their response was, no, we don't want to leave. We don't want to leave. Never mind. You're going to kill us. And who gets the blame? Moses and Aaron, the two guys that are leading them. You know, that would be, to me, that would be like pulling into Walmart on a very hot August day. And you've got an infant child in a car seat strapped in the back. You pull into Walmart. It's 98 degrees outside. You get a cell phone call just as you uh, pull into the parking spot. So, uh, you know, instead of pulling the keys out of the car, you leave them in. You get out. You shut the door. You go back to, to get your infant out. and You realize the infant's locked in the car and your keys are in the car. Now, this actually happened, so I'm not making this up. And so you're thinking, what should I do? I mean, it's 98 degrees outside. You know, it won't be long before this child uh, suffers from heat exhaustion. I've got to do something. What do I So You start yelling in the parking lot, somebody help me. Please, my child's locked in the car. And some guy goes over to his truck, picks up a hammer, comes over and smashes the window. And you say, what would you do that for? Are you crazy? Look what you did to my car. That's going to cost me a bundle. Silly, isn't it? Over the past several years, there has been a lot of grumbling about the church, not only here but also in the brotherhood in general. I, and, and I don't pretend to be Moses, but it hurts. It hurts me when I hear or read complaints and criticisms about the church. In fact, I find it very discouraging, because I love the church. And and I'm not suggesting that those who criticize don't love the church, but it makes you wonder sometimes whether or not people know how to love the church. You know, I I love my wife, and because I love my wife, I I don't go around pointing out all of her faults. I, I mean, she has her faults, so do I. But the blessings that she has brought to my life and our family far outweigh any faults that she might have. And we have to remember the church is the bride of Christ. So so why would you go around pointing out the faults of Jesus' bride? I've been to a number of wedding receptions. I'm sure many of you have too where the best man gives a short talk about the groom. I've yet to hear one where the groom criticizes the bride and tells everyone what's wrong with the bride, what changes she needs to make, and that she's really not good enough for the groom. I've not heard any anyway. If you were the best man or the maid of honor at Jesus' wedding what would you say about his bride? What have you said about his bride? I think we need to take a step back for a minute so so we don't repeat the same foolish mistakes that Israel made so many centuries ago. The church in which you and I are members, as we just read a moment ago, is not our church. It belongs to Jesus. Jesus. It is his body. You and I did not build it. Jesus said, I will build my church in Matthew 16, verse 18. And when Jesus began building the church, he built it on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus being the chief cornerstone, according to Ephesians 2, verse 20. The cornerstone in a building in those days was the most important stone in the entire building. It was placed at the corner, right on the foundation, at the corner. and, And all the other stones were lined up with that one cornerstone. So if that one cornerstone, that first stone, placed down on the foundation was not right, the whole building would be out of square and would not be structurally sound. If Jesus is the chief cornerstone, then we know two things for sure. Number one, the chief cornerstone was perfect, which means the structure is sound. The church is sound. The church is so sound that Jesus went on to say in Matthew 16, 18, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, which means evil cannot overpower the church. I mean, that's how strong the church is. It is indestructible. Can you name anything in this world made by man that is indestructible? In Revelation chapter 6 and 7, it describes the final pouring out of God's wrath on his creation sometime in the future. And when it's finished, when God's wrath is finally poured out, there will be only one survivor, only one. That one survivor will be the church. Not only is the church indestructible, but it is all-powerful. In Revelation 8, when the church prays, God takes action. And when God takes action, nothing can stop it. So if we want to improve the church, rather than complaining about it, let's start. In Acts 12, verse 5, Peter was locked up in prison because he was preaching the gospel. And it reads, But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And if you keep reading, you learn that God sent an angel into the prison, opened the doors, took the chains off of Peter, and escorted him out of the prison and said, You keep on, brother. You keep preaching. You see, when the church... Praise, the power of God is unleashed in this in this world. And what a blessing it is when the church prays. A number of years ago, when our daughter Molly had her horse riding accident, word went out. I mean, there were churches all over the Midwest praying for some preacher's daughter uh, who had had a, a horrible accident. She, had, she fractured her pelvis in four places. Uh, and obviously, we were quite distraught about it but there were people praying that we didn't even know who they were we found out later people were praying churches were praying what a what a blessing (laughs) that is only through the church is that possible paul reminds us that not only does christ own the church but he remains the head of it in Ephesians 5.23, it says, The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. And in Revelation 1, you see, you see Jesus walking among his churches. He's near his churches. He is present. He is active in his church. Paul also describes the church as being the household of God in 1 Timothy 3:15. So it's pretty clear in Scripture that God wants us to remember that the church is his. It's not ours, it's his. So, let me encourage you. When you post on Facebook or complain to your brothers and sisters or the elders that you don't like, something you don't like about the church or what the problems are in the church or what needs fixed in the church or what the church should be but isn't, that is a form of murmuring and complaining to Jesus that you're not happy with his work. And in a similar way that the Israelites did to God when they were not happy about his deliverance uh, from uh, from their bondage. So not only are you murmuring and complaining, but you're also tearing down his church by pointing out all the flaws and weaknesses of your brothers and sisters. It's like me saying to you, you're the problem. Get your act right. If you could just get your act right, the church would be great. Why would we go around publicly denigrating the church while we're trying to persuade others to be members of the church? Who wants to join a church that, you know, everybody's pointing out all the problems? We're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot. We need to to stop murmuring and complaining and start touting all the characteristics that are good about the church. And there are many. I've already given you a few. For example... God decided that the church was the best tool, the most effective tool to make Jesus and him known to the world. For Ephesians 3.10, Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the church is the best means, the most effective means of spreading the gospel according to God. In Acts 15 verse 22, it indicates that the church sent Paul and Barnabas to Antioch. It's the church that makes it possible for missionaries to go into the farthest corners of the world. How likely would it be that, that, that you would be able to go to La Palma and serve the people there without the help and support of the church? God has given the church resources to be able to spread the gospel not only here in our own communities, but in other places in the world. And one of the reasons that the church is the best way to spread the gospel is because according to 1 Timothy 3.16, the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. So that means that the church is what upholds the truth The truth, God's truth in the world. Not you, not me, you and me together. You say, well, how can that be? How can the church be the pillar and buttress of the truth when we can't even agree on what the truth is? There's one truth to which we all agree. I would say there's probably more than one, but at least one. It's the most important one according to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4. Paul wrote, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. In fact, the word importance isn't really even in the original language, the Greek. It just says, this is first. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is First. And that's one, that's one truth all of us can agree on. Everyone in here, at least those of us who are Christians, believe that with all of our hearts. But there are other important truths that, that need to be told. So according to Ephesians 4 verse 11, Jesus gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, which of course is the church. Jesus has designed the best means possible to strengthen and mature his children in the church. And I I have to say, in the church, I have sat at the feet of wonderful preachers and teachers who have helped me greatly to understand the word of God more perfectly and who have encouraged me to live my life to please God I, they, they didn't teach it perfectly, but they inspired in me a deeper appreciation for Jesus and his word, which created in me a desire to know it for myself and to want to study it for myself and eventually teach it. I, I can't name all of those people, but, but God has richly blessed my life through them. Through the church, through the church, I, I've given the opportunity to serve in God's kingdom. And because of that, I grew spiritually. The Lord helped me to overcome my fears, my, my, my weaknesses through the church. It was the church that inspired me to choose ministry as a vocation. Jesus gave his church shepherds to care for the church and to keep watch over your soul. He didn't just leave us out there on a limb all by ourselves. He has surrounded us, as I am right now, with many of his people who care about us, who look after us, who help us, and sometimes correct us. In Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas were commissioned to go from the church in Antioch to the church in Jerusalem. And it indicates in verse 4 that when they arrived at the church in Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church. The church is the one place in the world where everyone is welcome. Now, some churches may be more warmer and and better at that than others, but you'll never be locked out of the church because this is the place where sinners gather. You always find friends in the church. Through the church, I have have many friends. The church is my extended family. Jesus, in Mark 10, he told his disciples, he said that someday they would have hundreds of mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and, 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 and children. And he was referring to the church. Some of you may not you know, fully understand what that's like because you, you've always lived near your biological families, but, but many of us have not had that experience. And so the church is very special to us because it becomes our family. It became my family in many places. I, I wouldn't even be a Christian if it weren't for the church. My parents didn't really teach me about Jesus. I mean, we didn't sit down at night and they, they didn't read the Bible to me, but they took me to church every Sunday, sometimes when I was kicking and screaming. I learned about Jesus at church. I was taught about Jesus in Bible classes as a child. I heard sermons about Jesus and his church. I sang songs about God and Jesus and the church. Jesus worked through the church to save me. The church that, in which my sister and I grew up had on a good day about 50 people in attendance. We had maybe one or two Bible classes for children, sometimes only one, depending on whether they could find a teacher or not. But they had some Bible classes that don't come close to what we offer today. But because I was exposed to that as a child, it's one of the main reasons I'm in the church today. What that tells me is that it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be dynamic. It doesn't have to be entertaining to be effective. Parents, if I might just digress for just a minute, you're making a potentially fatal mistake by not bringing your child to Bible class. Proverbs 22, six says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It doesn't say train up an adult. It says, train up a child. If you're not willing to make that sacrifice when your children are are young, you may be making the biggest mistake of their lives. I am indebted to the Lord because of the church, which is why I serve the church today. The church is the institution of God. It is where God can be found. God works in the church and through the church to influence the world and bring salvation to the lost. None of us would have a prayer of being saved if it weren't for the church. And, you know, we all have our ideas of what we want the church to be. We all have that ideal church in in our minds. Some of us want a progressive church. Some of us want a traditional church. Some of us want a church that rocks. Others want a church that's reverent. So so we all have this ideal reality in regard to the church. But the church will never be an ideal reality, especially your ideal reality. But it will always be a divine reality. When we strive for some ideal reality, we set ourselves up for disillusionment and disappointment, and that can lead to murmuring and complaining. It doesn't mean we should never try to improve what we can improve. It means that if you want the church to improve, to meet your ideal reality, start with improving yourself. In the book Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer addressed this issue. He wrote this, he who loves his dream of a community, meaning church, more than the church itself, becomes a destroyer of the latter or the church, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. And what he means is that when the church doesn't match our ideal, our personal ideal, we become judges and accusers of our brothers and sisters and even of God himself. Bonhoeffer went on to write, We enter into that common life, meaning the Christian community, not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. We thank God for what He's done for us. We thank God for giving us brethren who live by His call, by His forgiveness and His promise. We do not complain of what God does not give us. We rather thank God for what He does give us. On the back of the bulletin is an excerpt from from Bonhoeffer's book that relates to this, and I hope you'll take time to read it. That's why I I didn't include an outline this week. I wanted you to read that article. I hope you will. I thank God for this Christian community, it's not a perfect community. We don't have perfect worship services, we don't have perfect ministries, you'll never hear a perfect sermon, a perfect prayer, or a perfect singing, but it is a divine community of imperfect people who have been brought together for a common purpose. It's an imperfect community in whom dwells the spirit of my God. That's the community with whom I want to associate. Wherever God is, that is where I want to be. I don't want to be around perfect people necessarily. I want to be around God's people. So, so the next time you're tempted to post something on Facebook about what the church is not or what it should be or what it's failing to do, please, please, Please stop for a moment and think. Will will this build up the Lord's church? Will this build up my brothers and sisters? Will this encourage those outside the church to want to be part of the church? And the next time a worship service or ministry doesn't match your ideal reality and you feel compelled to address that with one of the elders or, or one of your brothers or sisters, just stop for a moment and think. Will this build up a Lord's church? Will this build up my brothers and sisters? Is my service or ministry ideal yet? Am I imposing my ideal on others? Am I in a position to be a judge or an accuser of the Lord's church? Am I seeking perfection where perfection is not possible nor required? This morning, the Lord invites you to be added to his spiritual community, the divine reality that is the church. If you'll accept what's written in his word about believing in Jesus and the fact that Jesus came to this earth to live and to die so that you and I could not only be in his divine reality, the church, but so that we could someday be in the heavenly reality of eternity with him forever. If you're willing to make that confession this morning, if you're willing to turn your life away from sin, if you're willing to die to sin in baptism, we invite you to do that this morning, to become part of the body of the saved, which is the church of God. Let's stand and sing.